Hello, everyone. I'm Gary Urbanowitz, the executive director of the New York City Fire Museum, the official museum of the FDNY. I need to inform you of the severe financial strain we're currently experiencing at the museum due to the COVID-19 pandemic. Although we reopened in the fall, the decline in visitors and tourism has made a grave impact on our survival. If you believe in our mission to preserve the history of the FDNY, to educate families on being fire safe, and celebrate the service of FDNY members to the communities of New York, please consider making a tax-deductible donation to our new Crisis Recovery Fund. Even small donations make a difference. To learn more, go to nycfiremuseum.org donate. Thank you for supporting the New York City Fire Museum during this challenging time. And now, let's get on with the show. In this episode of Throwback FDNY, the first known black woman firefighter, Molly Williams, answers the call in 1818. Trailblazing African-Americans make inroads into the fire service in New York City, starting in 1898. And Robert O'Lowry's historic appointment to fire commissioner in 1966. The FDNY has a long, rich history and tradition that should be remembered and celebrated. But like American history, there are some stories that also are painful to tell, especially the stories of slaves in the United States and in the fire service. But that doesn't mean they shouldn't be told. In fact, for historians and cultural institutions like the New York City Fire Museum, it's our duty to make sure that even the ugliest chapters of our shared history are not forgotten. This episode begins with a slave in New York City. Her name was Molly Williams. Laws of the day allowed her to be owned by the wealthy Imar family. Some accounts say she served as the firehouse cook and tended to Benjamin Imar, who volunteered at Engine Company 11. And while we have little information or accounts of her story in her own words, her life is captured in a number of published works. She is recognized as being the first woman firefighter in the country and answered the call during the 1818 blizzard as the city was in the grip of an influenza outbreak. In George Sheldon's 1882 book, The Story of the Volunteer Fire Department of the City of New York, a contemporary interview with Adam Pence gives us the following story about Firefighter Williams. When a call came in at the peak of the storm, and with most of the male volunteers out sick, she helped haul a pumper to a blaze in lower Manhattan. I'll read an excerpt. Quote, Once, during a blinding snowstorm in 1818, there was a fire in William Street, and it was hard work to draw the engine. But among the few who had hold of the drag rope was Molly, pulling away for dear life. This may have been the only time she took hold of the rope, but afterward, when asked what engine she belonged to, she always replied, I belong to 11. End quote. Molly's story is repeated many times in landmark books on FDNY history, including Reminiscences of Old Fire Laddies of New York and Brooklyn by J. Frank Kiernan in 1885, and An Our Fireman by Augustine Costello in 1887, and many others. In the 1952 book, As You Pass By, author Kenneth Holcomb Dunshee includes a sketch of Molly pulling Engine 11 through the snow. I'll include that image in this month's newsletter. They all repeat the same limited story, almost verbatim, without giving us any more insight into Firefighter Williams. Her story has also been recalled in some recent books about the black experience in the FDNY, including Firefight by Ginger Adams Otis. Firefighter Williams' place in history is even commemorated in a children's book, Molly by Golly, by Diane 
Oakletree. The most detailed information about Firefighter Williams comes from the book A History of the AME Zion Church, published in 1956. It states that Peter Williams, another slave of Benjamin Imar, married Mary Durham. The nickname Molly for women named Mary is not uncommon, even today. The book later describes Peter Williams marrying, quote, the substantial and happy Molly, whose heart was closely attached to Molly's boys, or the old 11 engine, end quote. But we really don't know much more about her life. Over the years, the New York City Fire Museum has received many requests for information about Molly Williams. Our research, and that of others, continues. We are committed to preserving Firefighter Williams' role in the history of firefighting in New York, to celebrate her tenacity and the drive of her own free will, while otherwise being one of the many slaves that were in New York, and whose stories too often are forgotten. Finally, if you are engaged in genealogic research, especially if it relates to early 19th century New York and its African-American communities, including slavery, if you have more details of this impressive woman's life, please share it with us. You can send us any information you uncover to info at nycfiremuseum.org. Hello, everyone. I'm Ted Grant, president of the Board of Trustees of the New York City Fire Museum. As we all know, the world has drastically changed since March 2020. There remains a very difficult time for everyone. At the New York City Fire Museum, our principal sources of revenue have all but disappeared this year. While we normally host nearly 10,000 school children in our fire safety education program, school closures have caused that to cease. We are also visited by about 30,000 other visitors each year, many outside the metropolitan area, including firefighters from around the world. But tourism has all but stopped. And we host many events annually for community and other organizations that too has stopped. As a result, the museum is now under severe financial strain in our ability to keep the museum open, which is run by a nonprofit organization established in 1981. Our nonprofit institution is not funded by the FDNY or the City of New York. If you believe in our mission to preserve history, educate children on fire safety, and celebrate the heroism of first responders and the contribution of the fire department, please consider making a tax-exempt donation to our new crisis recovery fund at nycfiremuseum.org donate. It's hard to believe, but the Alliance of American Museums estimates as many as one-third of the nation's museum will be forced to close due to the unprecedented toll of the pandemic on cultural institutions that depend on visitors, members, and donors to survive. Please don't let the New York City Fire Museum be one of the ones to close. Again, you can support us by going to nycfiremuseum.org donate. Thank you for your generosity, continued support, and for partnering with us to preserve, educate, and celebrate the history and tradition of the FDNY. Shortly before consolidation with the FDNY in 1898, the Brooklyn Fire Department hired one African-American to be a firefighter. His name was William Henry Nicholson. In order for firefighters from Brooklyn and Long Island City to become part of the FDNY after consolidation, 
they had to take an examination and be approved by the commissioner, John J. Scannell. When Scannell approved Nicholson's appointment, it was announced in the newspapers of the time, making note of his race. Initially, Nicholson was assigned to Engine Company 6, today's Engine 206. Nicholson was later transferred to non-firefighting posts at the Veterinary Hospital and with the Fire Marshal's Office. Nicholson developed a cardiac condition, which led to approval of his disability retirement on December 5, 1911, on a pension of $700 a year. His retirement began on January 1, 1912, and unfortunately, he passed away just a few days later on January 21st. The second African-American to be hired by the FDNY was Jacob C. Fulcher. He was appointed on November 14, 1902, and was assigned to Hook and Ladder 61 in Brooklyn, the current ladder company 111. Born in New Bern, North Carolina, he came to New York with his family in 1895 when he was 18 years old. Both of his parents were freed slaves. He decided to pursue a job with one of the city's services, taking both the FDNY and NYPD examinations. He was among the top scorers in both. A call from the FDNY came first, and he enthusiastically accepted the appointment. He spent time with the same company as Nicholson, Engine 106 at the time, again, the present Engine Company 206. Also, like Nicholson, he was later relegated to a non-firefighting detail in the repair shops. Sadly, his tenure with the FDNY was brief. Fireman 3rd grade, Jacob C. Fulcher, passed away from pneumonia on May 4, 1904. For this reason, he is often overlooked in history books. On September 21, 1914, an appointment was made that captured the attention of the press. John Henry Woodson was identified as the first African-American to be made a firefighter in New York City. By then, Nicholson and Fulcher had died, leaving no black firefighters in the department. Not to mention that Nicholson was likely seen as a Brooklyn fireman, and Fulcher's career was extraordinarily brief. So Woodson was put in the spotlight, and as such, more is known about him than the other early African-American members. Mr. Woodson was born in Farmville, Prince Edward County, Virginia. The name Woodson is ubiquitous to Virginia. One particularly famous Woodson was Thomas, the first child procreated by Thomas Jefferson and Sally Hemings. Jefferson's Monticello is 60 miles from Farmville. It is not known if there is a connection between John Henry Woodson and the Jefferson Woodsons. Even today, there are many Woodsons still in the Farmville area. John, his sister Alice, and their mother came to New York City shortly before 1900. When Chief of Department John Kenlin called attention to Woodson's name and race to Commissioner Robert Adamson, Adamson noted he saw no reason not to hire a person of color. Lost to the annals of history is one fact that makes his decision all the more poignant. The commissioner's full name was Robert E. Lee Adamson. His father, a dedicated Confederate soldier during the Civil War, named his son after the Confederate general. His rich Southern ancestry is juxtaposed to Anderson's views and actions with regard to assisting and promoting African-American culture and individuals. While city editor of the Atlanta Constitution, he began a Negro column, much to the dissatisfaction of the newspaper's white subscribers. It was Adamson, along with J. Garland Penn, who engaged Booker T. Washington to be the keynote speaker at the Cotton States and International Exposition in 1895, the speech that led to the historic Atlanta Compromise, 
a watershed moment, albeit biased, in race relations. The Adamson paradox may have contributed to the amount of attention that Woodson garnered in the press. On September 21, 1914, Special Order 164 noted the appointment of ununiformed firemen, the term for probationary firefighters at the time, John H. Woodson to Hook and Ladder Company 106. It didn't take long for Fireman First Grade Woodson to show his tenacity. Two years, almost to the day of his appointment, he made a dramatic rescue of Mrs. Catherine Metaridi and her son Michael from a two-alarm fire at 106 DuPont Street in Greenpoint, Brooklyn. For this, he received a Class three citation. In 1918, he received a Class B citation, but details about the act could not be located. In 1929, Whitson was voted the most popular fireman in Jamaica and went on to compete for the title Most Popular Fireman in Queens. Fireman Woodson retired on February 1, 1936, after 21 and one-half years of service. In his retirement, John kept busy. He held various jobs. Perhaps the most notable was when he was hired by retired FDNY Assistant Chief Thomas Dougherty to be part of the New York World's Fair Fire Department. John Woodson was one of 65 fire guards hired by the fair. He was the ninth man and the only African-American to be hired to the post. A year later, he was promoted to lieutenant. On January 15, 1951, John Henry Woodson passed away at the age of 64. It was five years into Woodson's career with the FDNY that Wesley Williams was appointed in 1919. In a workforce of 5,321, a sole black firefighter, even one who had been cited twice for valor, was virtually invisible. So it was Woodson who reached out to Williams to make his presence known and to apprise him of what to expect. Of course, from that point, Williams made quite a name for himself and became the first African-American to attain the rank of battalion chief. His legacy includes being the founder of the FDNY Vulcan Society. The Vulcan Society is the fraternal organization open to black firefighters, EMS personnel, fire inspectors, and civilian personnel of the FDNY. In the month that we remember the contributions of African Americans in so many roles throughout American history, the New York City Fire Museum is pleased to help preserve this history. A photograph of Chief Williams, then a fireman in Engine 55, is on permanent display in our first floor gallery. Thank you for listening to this episode of the Throwback FDNY podcast. As I mentioned earlier, we need your help. As a result of the COVID-19 pandemic, our main sources of income have declined significantly. In-person visits, school trips, event space rentals, and shop sales have all been impacted. We are now forced to rely more heavily on the generosity of our supporters. Please donate to the New York City Fire Museum to help us fulfill our mission to preserve, educate, and celebrate. Visit nycfiremuseum.org slash donate to learn how you can support us. And now back to the episode. Not only did Robert Oliver Lowry serve the FDNY for over 31 years, he holds the distinction of being the first African-American fire commissioner in a major city in the United States. Born on April 20, 1916 in Buffalo, New York, one of his early jobs when he moved to New York City was as an usher at the Alhambra Theater in Harlem. He then entered the civil service as a subway conductor. 
but when called up to enter the FDNY, he accepted and started his career with the department on July 1, 1941, being initially assigned to Ladder Company 34 Manhattan. He transferred to the Bureau of Fire Investigation in 1946. During his 17-year tenure as a fire marshal, he made 72 arrests, resulting in 65 convictions. On December 29, 1960, Fire Marshal Lowry witnessed a wanted and armed arsonist in the process of setting a fire in a rooming house and captured him before he succeeded in his felonious action. He was cited numerous times for his outstanding investigative ability. On June 23, 1961, Commissioner Edward Thompson made Fire Marshal Lowry an acting lieutenant. In this capacity, he was responsible for establishing a community relations program for the Bureau of Fire Investigation. Just two years later, he was appointed Deputy Fire Commissioner. In this role, he increased the number of African-American firefighters assigned to companies in predominantly black neighborhoods, and where possible, advanced them into leadership roles. Then, on January 1st, 1966, Mayor John V. Lindsay swore Robert O. Lowry in as Commissioner, the first black commissioner of the FDNY. Commissioner Lowry ushered the FDNY into what became known as the War Years. For nearly 10 years, the city experienced unprecedented amount of fires, many of which were caused by arson. At the same time, the city's financial health was rapidly deteriorating, making the resources to combat the blazes that were raising entire sections of the city scarce. Commissioner Lowry resigned from his position in September 1973 in order to give him the ability to campaign for mayoral candidate Abraham Beam, who was successfully elected that November. The commissioner's family were dedicated to their fellow New Yorkers. His brother Irving was an NYPD detective, and his brother Wilson was a firefighter in Ladder 40. The New York City Fire Museum is proud to have numerous items in the collection related to Commissioner Lowry, including his turnout coat and many photographs documenting this part of his career. And now it's time for our throwback FDNY trivia segment. In each new episode of our podcast, we like to test your knowledge of the department by asking a question about a fact from our previous show. Here's this month's. In 1916, there were 2 million pounds of small arms and artillery ammunition being held in the warehouses of the National Dock and Storage Company, including 100,000 pounds of TNT being held in a barge. Two explosions rocked the facility, raining down shrapnel and debris on Liberty and Ellis Islands, rattling the entire area. What was the name of the island in New York Harbor where this occurred? The answer could be found in our previous episode and in this month's installment of our companion Throwback FDNY newsletter. You could sign up for our newsletter at nycfiremuseum.org slash throwbackfdny. The Throwback FDNY podcasts are brought to you with help from the FDNY and the FDNY Foundation, the official nonprofit organization of the department. I'm Gary Urbanowitz. I'll leave you with this important safety tip. If you leave a building during a fire, close all doors as you exit. This will help contain the fire. If doors are left open, the flames and smoke can travel more quickly. We could all do our part to be a partner to the fire department by promoting fire safety. Thank you and be safe. <laughs>